This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk storage efficiencies in ONTAP and how they're becoming more, well, efficient. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio today and we're going to talk all about storage efficiencies. And to do that, I've brought in a bunch of people on the phone. Uh, So we're going to go around the virtual room and introduce everybody, starting with Sanjeev. Sanjeev, what do you do here at NetApp? Yeah, hi. um, I'm the engineering manager at NetApp, managing the storage efficiency features, the development part of it, and the QA portion as well. And... um, we have uh, today uh, Grish, DNP, Kati, Kalo, and Gayatri, which are part of my team, and we'll talk through them as well. All right, let's let's introduce that team as well. So, Gayatri, um, if you could tell everybody what you do here at NetApp. Hi, I manage the storage efficiency QA and also um, the de- development uh, of uh, Den. All right. And Dinyashwar uh, or DN, you know, DNC, is that what you go by or what do you go by? Yeah, DMP. DMP, okay, DMP. So DMP, what do you do here at NetApp? Uh, hi, uh, uh, so uh, I am DNP. I, I am a principal engineer in uh, storage efficiency team. Uh, in the past, I have worked on uh, compression uh, development and then uh, dedupe development and cross-volume uh, storage efficiency development. All right. And Alok, what do you do here at NetApp? Yeah, hi. Um, this is me, Alok. Uh, as of now, I'm working for compression compaction team. Earlier, I worked as a developer in the in deduplication team for both inline and offline efficiencies. All right. And Venku? Yeah, hi. This is Venku. Uh, I work for the deduplication and uh, compaction features in Waffle. All right, and last but not least, Karthik, what do you do here, NetApp? Yes, so I am the product manager managing the efficiency portfolio at NetApp. So I work with the efficiency teams to uh, get new features into the roadmap or uh, develop uh, new roadmap items related to flash and efficiency. All right. So um, that is our storage efficiency team there. And we brought them in specifically to talk about storage efficiency because it's something we have not covered here on the podcast before. But it is something that is often asked about. Uh, People want to know more about storage efficiencies, how they work, and what sort of things we do with them. Um, So to get it all started, Karthik, if you could give us the 10,000-foot overview of what storage efficiency actually means. Okay. So at a very high level, if you look at it, storage efficiency means the data that you store in a system, the actual data, we call it the logical data. So how much will we be able to reduce that footprint of that data on the system? So that is due to the efficiency. So there could be a different features that will reduce your data like deduplication, compression, compaction. So we'll probably talk more about all the features that reduce your data on this. So mainly the data that is coming into the system, how much it is being reduced and the function that is doing it is the storage efficiency in a very simpler terms. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, we're a storage company. Why would we want to reduce your data? Don't we want to sell sell more storage, Karthik? Why are we doing this? See, definitely we would want to sell more storage at the same time. uh, We also need to uh, work with our customers and then keep them happy. So, with the shrinking budgets in mind, every CTO has a limited budget now. Everybody is looking at reducing their dollar per gig requirements. And then we as a company who are uh, here to serve our customers, we want innovative ways to reduce the data, still uh, make our margins there. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, honestly, storage efficiency in general, it used to be you know, kind of a nice-to-have feature, like, oh, great, you can do storage efficiencies, awesome. Now it's kind of it's table stakes. People, you require it. You have to have it in your storage environment or you don't sell it. Yeah, that's also because of the media changes that we have seen over the years now with the solid state drives and AFFs coming into picture. 
uh, your performance is uh, no more a bottleneck there. Earlier, when we had spindle, uh, spindles or HVDs, so we were spindle-bound and we could not do a lot of efficiency features without impacting the client's workload. So with that removed now, so everybody is expecting uh, the storage system to reduce the data as much as possible so that they will have the best TCO possible. I know we have two different ways of doing storage efficiency. We have one that's inline, and then we have one that's post-process. So if you could kind of break down the differences between those two and why we only support AFF for certain features. Sure. So, yeah, as you rightly said, we have both inline and post-process. So inline efficiency will actually reduce your data before the data hits the disks or the SSDs. So it is done in the inline path as the data enters your system in memory. And the post-process, as the data is written, it will actually crawl through the data which is already written to the disk and then try to squeeze out as much as possible and try to reduce that data. So this is the background or the post-process things. So uh, why do we have both inline as well as post-process? So if you look at it, uh, all our inline efficiencies are adaptive in nature. So what uh, I mean by that is it, the system, the efficiency, inline efficiency engine keeps looking at the client uh, workload, the IO, the performance, and then it doesn't allow the spike in latency to go beyond a certain time, let's say a one millisecond if it's an, a certain AFS system, which is the knee of the curve. So if it sees that there is a spike in it, then it will actually back off for a couple of uh, seconds so that the latency returns to normal. And the background job then comes in and catches up with this to give out the maximum efficiency possible. So this is how the inline efficiency works along with background efficiency to maximize the savings uh, for a particular system. Yeah, so it's opportunistic, right? So we don't, we aren't going to do the storage efficiency if it's going to impact performance heavily. Definitely, we are not going to do it. Our first uh, preference is for the client workloads. Only then we'll look at the efficiencies because we always know that the background will come in and catch up and uh, give the efficiency, required efficiency. So with that in mind, I mean, what sort of expected performance hit are we looking at when we have inline efficiencies going? I mean, is it is it impactful to, to our production workloads? I mean, how and how impactful is that? So it's not impactful just for the fact that it is opportunistic in nature. So it will not allow the client workload uh, to be impacted. So the worst case impact uh, is within uh, 10%. This is, again... Combining all the efficiency features, it is not just inline deduplication or not just inline compression. With all the inline efficiencies, the performance impact should not be more than 10% on an AFS system. Okay. And even if it you know is impacting your environment, you have the option to turn it off uh, if you want. That said, I mean, we, we do enable things by default in certain situations. Which situations do we enable storage efficiencies right off the bat? So uh, on all all flash fast systems, we enable the efficiencies by default, and uh, we do not want them to be turned off, uh, and we want them to be left uh, turned on. That's because one again, it is opportunistic in nature. The second thing is in terms of compression. The compression actually first tries to see if there is any compressibility in the data. It will not right away go ahead and start compressing the data. If it sees that the data is incompressible, it will not actually go ahead and compress all the data. It will uh, just back off. In that way, you will not have performance impact for that kind of workloads. So we do want the, all the efficiencies to be turned on just for the fact that it will not affect your client workloads. Okay. And I don't know if you covered this, but you know, why can't we have certain efficiencies on spinning disk? And what sort of efficiencies can we not have on spinning disk? So uh, on spinning disks, you need a lot of, uh, see, all the efficiency work involves a lot of uh, CPUs, and then uh, there's a lot of read and writes involved. If you think of it, uh, any uh, workload for that matter will have reads, writes, and then overwrite, broadly the category of uh, uh, the IOs that are coming into the system. So what happens in terms of overwrites? In, in, term, in, in compression, what we do is, as the writes are coming into the system, we actually bunch together multiple blocks in the incoming I.O. and then compress that one. 
So now assume that there's an override coming for a particular block in that compressed uh, group. What we have to do is first, we'll have to read the compressed group from the disk, uncompress it, change the block, and then recompress it and then again write it back. So this takes up a lot of uh, CPU and then system resources for HDDs because of because it's a spin-to-down system. That is not true in case of SSDs because there is no rotational parts involved. So that is the reason uh, we'll not be able to enable a lot of features on HDD-based systems just because of performance reasons. Uh, also, we do not want customers to have a, a negative uh, kind of experience by using the efficiency features. Just because there is an efficiency features, they should not turn it on and then uh, we'll get a customer cap call. So we don't want to do that. We don't want even the customers to fall into that. So that is the reason we do not enable it. We also do not recommend they enable these at least on their production workloads. So there are certain cases wherein they can still go ahead and enable it on a secondary uh, system uh, after doing a POC, but that's on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. So we're looking at secondary systems for, for data protection as, as a place for doing storage efficiencies with spinning disk. Um, in production workloads, you're not necessarily going to not see that in spinning disk right away because um, you're mostly you're going to do the post-process uh, efficiencies there, right? Yes. Even the post-process efficiencies, we do not enable by default on HDD systems or on a hybrid system. So it has to be turned on, on demand by the customers on a per volume basis for volume efficiencies uh, or a per aggregate basis for aggregate efficiency. Vanku, um, you know, one of our storage efficiency features is deduplication. Uh, if you could kind of give me a high level overview of what deduplication is and then kind of go a little deeper about how we do it in ONTAP, that'd be great. Yeah, the general concept of the deduplication is you have to find a singular uh, data which to find which is a, which we call as a duplicate okay and uh, we have to find these similar duplicates and we have to remove the these redundancies in the data uh, that is the basic concept of deduplication but in own tab we have a different flavors uh, one is we call as the inline deduplication one one we have the post process deduplication and uh, this i'm talking about the volume scoped deduplication and in the inline path, so we, as I mentioned, we have to find the duplicate. So the duplicate, the way we find today is by using the fingerprint. Uh, we use something called a 64-bit fingerprint. So the basically uh, to find the potential uh, duplicate in the already in the written data. Okay, and so to find all these duplicates, we maintain some database called as fingerprint database. So that covers all the fingerprints of all the written data in the specific volume. And when the new data coming and we compute the fingerprint for the new new data, and then we are going to compare with the, the fingerprint database to see whether we have a potential duplicate. So the initial check is based, you find the potential duplicate based on this fingerprint, which is a 64-bit value. And once you find that this 64 bit is actually matching, then this is only potential duplicate. Then you go and load the specific data, which is a potential duplicate, and this current data, and you do a byte compare. Once the byte compare passes, then only we will treat as both as a duplicates. Okay. Yeah. And this deduplication we basically perform by doing the uh, ref counting process by increasing the reference counting of the uh, duplicate block. So this is very high level, the way the du duplication happens. Okay. So now coming to little low details, which is the inline deduplication. The inline deduplication, which comes in the right path from the client. So we have to be little opportunistic. And I, with all the database we maintain in memory, and we can't afford keeping all the donors. So we call it as a little opportunistic there. So, but we follow the similar process of finding the potential duplicate, find the fingerprint and do byte compare and complete the duplication. So the inline path, we have to be little uh, latency sensitive. So we will be little opportunistic there. 
and there is a chances that they might be uh, losing the dedupe strings in the inline path so but we have something called post process duplication that is data that is obtained into the disk we always do complete deduplication so this is more deterministic so here uh, we go, we are going to do a, a complete uh, so the, all the new data we always find the donors from the old data and we do complete the deduplication process in the post process duplication yeah this is about the volume level inline deduplication and the post process deduplication and we have one more variant which is called as cross volume deduplication so it is possible that you might have written data across two volumes so at the time again uh, we still find the written data across the two different volumes and still we go with the uh, deduplication process Uh, the only the way we maintain the difference uh, cross volume and volume inline is the way you do ref counting so for volume we will maintain something called uh, bvn ref counting and at the cross volume we have something called as a bvn ref counting yeah that might be little low level details okay so let me see if i can summarize this uh so Inline deduplication, well, let's start off with deduplication itself uses a fingerprint file. And where is that fingerprint file stored? Uh, is it always in memory? Is it sometimes on disk or is it both? Yeah. yeah. In the inline deduplication, we maintain in the memory. Yeah. And on post process, and the post duplication, we maintain on disk. Okay. And on disk, is it stored with the volume or is it stored with the aggregate? Uh, it is always stored by volume. Okay. So we have a fingerprint database for inline that compares incoming blocks in memory. Um, does that fingerprint database get reset essentially when we reboot a system and it has to get repopulated? I mean, how does that work when we have it in memory? Uh, it is kind of uh, not persistent, but yeah, we have again it's little internal. We have a scope for uh, refilling the in-memory database. Uh, for the current approach you can treat as just in memory once reboot so you are going to lose the fingerprint database yeah and basically all that does is it it might lose us some efficiencies on inline because we don't have that fingerprint there to compare against but post process will catch it after the fact because we do a full system scan using the fingerprint database right yes the post process is always deterministic and there is no chance of losing the deduplication savings okay and for cross volume, um, that fingerprint file, where is that stored with the volumes as well, or is that an aggregate level fingerprint file? I mean, how do we determine the fingerprint from that? Yeah, uh, the, all the fingerprints are still scoped it, it's in the volume, but when you get a new data, the fingerprint, you go and scan all the volume fingerprint databases to find the potential uh, donor. So we have to find the potential redundancy across all the volumes. Will scan all the volume data, so it is uh, goes in very batched manner in post process duplication. So though we though we think it's a little time consuming, but it is more effective in the implementation in one tap. Okay, and do we scan those fingerprint files in parallel, or are we doing that serially? Uh, we all do in serial for all the data. Okay, so we'd have to wait for one to finish before we move on to the next one. So it could be a little more, I guess, a little slower to, to work in, than a volume-level DD because it's got more to chew on. Uh, when it's a serial or parallel, so you can treat it as an order of N in the sense of number of uh, fingerprints you have. You always scan once. Okay. Um, for dedupe, I want to add more, uh, especially for uh, post duplication. Oh, let's, let's do. Let's go uh, for it. Yeah. So it's always usually earlier when before AFF on the spinning disk, we still we supported post duplication. I think that it's a little uh, we used to tell to customers to maintain the schedules and all things so that the duplication runs during idle time. So that is a little painful for the, all the customers earlier. But in AFF, I think we have changed it so that we introduce something called automatic schedules. That means there is no customer intervention or no tuning or nothing. So everything is taken care of in the on tap. So it always 
always detects uh, when you have sufficient amount of data has been written to a specific volume the due duplication is going to run automatically and very interesting is uh, the earlier duplication on spinning media used to have some perf- performance impact but we tune such that today with automatic scheduling we always self throttle self throttle in the sense when there is a huge client traffic is coming we ourselves will slow down the speed of the reduplication so that there is no impact to the clients yeah and so basically what right yeah, so we recommend moving to all automatic schedules uh, in on aff yeah and that it makes a lot of sense because i mean you know you want to get the storage efficiencies but we're not going to penalize you for having them because we're going to allow your production workloads to take precedence over those storage efficiency workloads So what about when we get zero blocks into the system like where it's basically a file that is not necessarily populated right it's a sparse file how do we handle that with deduplication Yeah I think in ontap has a special mechanism this uh, what we call one kind of patent detection which is a uh, zero field data I think this uh, zero field data always comes in the inline path I think that doesn't require any post process I think on the inline path, I think we have a very smart mechanism to detect it's already geo-filled data. And ONTAP internally maintains some special block number to that specified uh, block, which is we call as a VBN0. So any geo-filled data, it doesn't consume any space in the ONTAP. Okay, so that's another way we get more efficiencies out of this because we're not deduplicating those zero blocks. All right, so that was deduplication. We got a lot of good information out of there. Thank you, Venku. Um, so let's talk now about compression uh, and what that is and how it works in ONTAP. So uh, DMP, I'm, I'm understanding you're the compression guy. So if you could give us the high level of compression and then start to drill a little deeper into how that works in ONTAP, that'd be great. Basically, compression is uh, uh, a technology where you could uh, reduce uh, reduce a given number of uh, blocks or a given amount of data into a uh, smaller data set so basically it, it uh, internally tries to do uh, kind of eliminate the uh, common patterns uh, from data blocks uh, so that you could uh, reduce them you could uh, reduce the data that you store uh, so for untapped compression uh, we kind of divide a file in 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 what we call as compression groups and we we kind of individually compress uh, comp- compression group and uh, store the store the result uh, instead of storing the entire data so that's the basic uh, compression group uh, on tap the ship with uh, different compression group sizes by default on aff uh, we provide uh, 8k compression uh, which means uh, 8k chunk of uh, data is compressed together uh, and stored together uh, which is very suitable for oracle kind of workloads uh, but there are uh, there are uh, ways where you could uh, get uh, you could uh, have other other compression group sizes also um Uh, in on tap there's ways to configure that then there's ways to tell it how big the compression groups are so by default you could uh, by default aff gives you uh, 8k compression right by default but we we can adjust it to give us different compression groups right uh, right so uh, so in what in what use cases would that make sense like why would we want to change compression group sizes and why do we choose 8k as our as our default so uh, 8k is the is basically default because uh, we see a lot of workloads uh, like oracle uh, they have they have um, uh, 8k io sizes which are dominant and then um, uh, and it it kind of gives us a good trade off between uh, how much performance impact it will cause versus uh, versus the savings uh, it gives on top uh, with 8k fees okay and um I understand that there's some data that doesn't compress uh as well as others. So can you kind of help me understand like what ONTAP does in those situations and what sort of data is not as compressible as others? Yeah. So uh, initially Karthik pointed out that right. So when data is not compressible, uh, ONTAP tries to see the data is compressible and it does a very quick uh, quickly it can figure out very quickly that data is not compressible and then it will not attempt a full compression on it. So so for a for uh, uh, uncompressible data uh, we our performance impact is uh, very low and the data is stored as it is okay and what sort of uh, maximum space savings can we see with compression i mean for example a highly compressible data set like an oral d- oracle database so um, 
a maximum we know that a, uh, the compression uh, group sizes for by default on on AFFR 8k so it could give you uh, 2 is to 1 efficiency ratio uh, just with compression and uh, it is not a overall efficiency ratio uh, but just the there's uh, the uh, 8k compression ratio and on top of that you could apply compaction i think we can cover that but uh, it is important uh, because compression gives uh, savings on top of 8k 8k compression okay so as far as compression goes, I understand we had some improvements in 9.5. Could you kind of go over what those improvements were and, and why we were able to squeeze out another 10 to 15% for compression? So uh, so the, by default, uh, on-tap compression will, uh, would uh, compress 8K data, and then uh, when it reduces to uh, less than or equal to 4K, we, could, uh, we would uh, compress it. Uh, we would store it in compressed form. Uh, but uh, So we, we found that in some workloads, uh, or in some cases, there is data sets that are that are uh, getting reduced from 8K to let's say 5K or 6K, and we were not providing uh, anything for those kind of data sets. So uh, the feature uh, improvement uh, in 9.5 allows you, us to kind of provide compression efficiency even for those kind of data sets. Okay. So yeah. So we're able to compress the 5 and 6K sizes now, in addition to you know things that fit in a 4K. So how is that different from compaction? And, and you know, before we get into compaction uh, and how that's different, you know, let's kind of talk about what compaction is and then compare it to compression with the 5K sizes. Okay. So, I mean, I, I would say it is similar to compaction, but if I go with compaction, right? So uh, initially I said, like, uh, with ONTAP, we compress uh, in terms of 8K compression chunks and it may get reduced to some number of reduced number of bytes. Uh, let's say it goes reduced to... 1K, uh, but with Waffle, the block size uh, of untap is just 4K, right? So if we did not do anything, we would be consuming entire 4K block just for storing 1K of data, of compressed data. Uh, and it would essentially mean that our 3K of uh, space is was going wasted. Uh, what we do with compaction is uh, we combine uh, different different uh, compression groups, uh, the, the, the data of different compression groups, uh, so that you can fill in a given 4K as much as possible. So you could combine a, a compression group of uh, that that has given out a compressed data of 1K with something that has given out compressed data of 1,000 bytes or 2,000 bytes and combine four of these together so that we can make a 4K uh, block as full with data as possible. And that gives uh, additional thing on top of compression. So this combining different uh, blocks uh, Combining different blocks of less than 4K size is what untapped calls comp- uh, compaction or packing. Yeah, and essentially we're just we're kind of trying to fit uh, more blocks into a 4K block, so we're not eating up so many 4K blocks that aren't full. That's correct. Yeah. So basically, untapped tries to make consume maximum amount of space uh, without you know even in fact compaction does when you have a large file use cases, uh, it does uh, even the tailing blocks of the files it can it can uh, compress. Uh, and packed together, it can. Uh, when your write sizes are just 4K, not really 8K. When when the 8K compression will not happen, compaction will help regain those savings. It can uh, compress 4K uh, and reduce the number of bytes, and then uh, those uh, redu- reduced number of bytes uh, from different different blocks, it can it can compact and pack them together so that it further reduces uh, the data that is stored. So with compression, we can do inline and post process, right? Yes, com- uh, compression is uh, we untap does compression on inline by default on AFF, uh, but AFF uh, we do not do background compression. So AFF does not do background compression. AFF does not do background compression, uh, which is which is the scheduled one. But there is there are ways where you where one time you could go ahead and compress your existing data uh, through a command, uh, which will go over the existing data and compress them together. Okay, so if you wanted to go and, and do it manually, you could do that, essentially. Yes. yes. And and then yes. compaction is that does that have an inline and post process or is that inline only? Uh, compaction is inline only. Um, yeah. Hey, Justin, just to correct there, we do have the existing data compaction possible on the world. It's like a background yeah. scan. Oh, there is a background yeah. compaction scan. Yeah, yeah we do have. But it's not a shit. Not a scheduled operation, but it just runs as a command line. Inline. Oh, okay. So you can you can kick it off like compression. You can basically yeah, you can just stop, uh, process. Yeah. Okay. 
And then compaction, that was added in ONTAP 9 or 9.1, right? Yeah, we introduced that in ONTAP 9.0. Yeah, okay. So what my understanding is we added a new storage efficiency feature functionality in either 9.4 or 9.5 timeframe. It was called snapshot sharing. And this is one that it's not really well publicized. We don't have a lot of public uh, press around it, right? We don't publicize it that well. Um, but I do want people to know about it because I think it's pretty cool. So, Venku, if you could tell us what snapshot sharing is and how that can save you uh, storage space in your system, that'd be great. If you look at the deduplication, uh, the redundant data, uh, basically you find the redundant block, which we call as a old data, which is a donor we call. The new data, what we call as a recipient. So, earlier to 9.4, the limitation is that the donor block has to be in the active file system. That basically we should not be part of the snapshot. But in from 9.4, we introduced uh, to support, even if the donor exists in the snapshot, we started supported sharing from the snapshot block. Uh, this is especially useful, uh, especially when we have a volume with a lot of data that is trapped in the snapshot, especially kind of a DP volumes, so we have a lot of data which might be archived, which is residing in the snapshot, but not in active file system. So the support of the snapshot sharing that comes from the the donor block from snapshot will increase the amount of the savings in the deduplication. So essentially what we're doing is we're, we're before 9.4, we weren't scanning snapshots, but now we are incorporating snapshots into the fingerprint and that data is then deduplicated across active file system and snapshots or just across snapshots? Uh, we, we, we take the donors as part of the active file system and snapshot both. So prior to 9.4, we think that donors comes from only active file system. So we didn't give chance to, to the snapshot box to be part of the uh, donor database. So now we give the provision for all the snapshot blocks also in the donor database. Are you saying donut database? Is the fingerprint database. <laughs> you call it the donut database? That is fantastic. That's delicious. As far as snapshot sharing goes, I guess let me try to give an example so and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong here. So if I have a Word document and I have taken a snapshot with that Word document in it, and then later on I delete that Word document, and inside that Word document I have letterhead, and that letterhead has a logo on it. The next Word document I write has that same letter and logo, uh, letterhead and logo there. So those blocks will get deduplicated because they are also in the snapshot. Is that right? Yes, correct. Okay, As whereas before, if I had a Word document in that snapshot and I wrote a new Word document with the same letterhead and logo, I would be expected to have a, you know, get charged for it twice, essentially. Yes. So what kind of space savings are you seeing with snapshot sharing? What does that add to the overall um, ratio of storage efficiencies? Mm -hmm. Um, we, have to, we have done some analysis. Uh, we can't say it's not a direct data point to say how much savings you're getting because of this uh, snapshot sharing. It basically the amount of data that is getting trapped in the snapshots. Um, so it's really dependent on how much you've trapped in snapshots. So it's hard to really give you any sort of um, ratio or, or quotient of what that is, right? Exactly. But I would imagine it's going to be on par with regular dedupe because that's all it is, is dedupe, and now you're just extending it to snapshots. Yes. Yeah, we have some data points. We are expecting around 4 to 5% because of snapshot sharing. Okay, that's pretty good. It is also a magnitude of how many number of snapshots you have, right? Well, and yeah. that's good timing, too, because we've just increased that limit of snapshots you can have on volumes, right? So we, we upped that to, to 1,023 as of 9.4. And on, on the AFIP box, though, right, you know, um, because the primary workload for the customers, right, um, and predominantly they use um, disk as the backup mechanism, right? So keeping a lot of snapshots on the AFIP system is not preferable option for the customers, right? Um, but we do have customers who have uh, um, four or five copies of the snapshots, right? And uh, um, and then they have the um, snap mirror engine um, keeping the backup on the other fast system. 
with the uh, desktop system, right? Um, with the spindle, basically, spinning media. I think this is this will be even more useful on the secondary boxes. I think what we have the DPO boxes where there will be a lot of data getting tapped in this snap. So we are expecting that there will be huge savings you're going to get on the DPO boxes. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna mention something along those lines as well. Like, you know, it looks like we're gonna have a very good secondary storage story here with, with storage efficiencies. I mean, we, we're turning on all this stuff, and really, it's okay because you know it doesn't matter that we're running all these processes in the background because we're not really using it as secondary storage. We're saving it for later. But the storage efficiencies have got to be insane on the secondary systems. Yeah, that's true. And if, when we go back into the history of storage efficiency, we started with secondary as the use case for efficiency because that's where a lot of humongous amount of data gets pumped in, right? Because of the backup and uh, um, uh, backup operations itself, right? Uh, pumping in a lot of data. And, uh, and the very nature of the impact on performance on the primary workloads that, that added um, uh, latency uh, requirements on the uh, primary workloads, right? So we started doing efficiencies on the um, secondary system. But as the AFF evolved, as the uh, spinning media got uh, uh, transformed into uh, usage of flash drives, and uh, uh, we started doing more of inline efficiencies on the uh, all flash pass uh, box. And that is a box which gives um, high ups per um, uh, gigabit, right? So we improved our efficiencies more in the inline path on the AFF box. Um, and the secondary box continues to do get more and more efficiency, um, but giving the um, performance itself, right? So that, that has been our strategy really overall. Yeah, and, and Flash is interesting because it was kind of a problem that solved itself. So, you know, you, you get all this Flash media and it's expensive, and, and you know, early on especially. And, you know, you don't want to eat up all that extra space with, with duplicate data. So you want to have storage efficiencies in place. So the problem was, oh, how do I do that without impacting latency? Well, guess what? Flash is good for latency. So now we don't impact the latency. So, you know, it was very easy to implement that on the AFS systems and not have to worry so much about how it impacts performance. Yep. Karthik, what sort of um, storage efficiency ratios do we see on these secondary systems on average? I mean, since we were able to turn everything on, essentially. So you mean on the DPO systems? Yeah, the DP systems. So, see, the efficiency ratios that you're going to get it largely depends on the kind of workloads that you have and the I.O. pattern that is coming in. But in general, for databases, uh, we see around uh, 2 is to 1 ratio. Now with the compression header improvements, that ratio might go up to around uh, 2.5. But uh, it should, shouldn't really matter because now we have the storage guarantee program wherein we are guaranteeing uh, three is to one with all the enhancements and the features available in ONTAP 9.5 and above. Uh, we are pretty confident that most of the workloads, be it primary or on the secondary, uh, will get closer to three is to one ratio. So that is the reason as a company, uh, we are providing the guarantee. And then if there is any shortfall, uh, we will be shipping free SSDs to the customers after evaluating the system. So as far as the guarantee goes, I mean, how does that work? What's included in it? What do you have to do for it to be an effective guarantee? Okay. So uh, the guarantee that we have is very simple. And then recently we have... Uh, simplified the process of requesting for the guarantee. So the guarantee is applicable for all workloads on AFS systems. The only requirement is it has to be a new AFS system purchase, or it's also available for add-on SSD shells for the existing AFS uh, box. So when I mean uh, by all workloads is uh, we support all the workloads, only exceptions are the data should not be pre-compressed or pre-encrypted. So it means that on the host side, there should be no compression or encryption. If we have compression or encryption, we will not be able to gain additional efficiencies when the data comes into our system. And the other restriction is we do not support uh, a guarantee on uh, snap lock uh, volumes. So those are the only exceptions. Other than that, we do not have any exception. 
uh, we only require all the efficiency features to be turned on. That means deduplication, compression, data compaction. We also need all the volumes to be thin provisioned, but we do will not calculate the efficiency thin provisioning ratio while calculating the efficiency. The only uh, efficiency features that will be considered are deduplication, compression, compaction. And as I mentioned, the ratio for all workloads is three to one. This is the data reduction ratio without snapshot. We also have a guarantee with snapshot, wherein uh, they need to have a certain number of snapshots uh, and we guarantee 30 is to one ratio. So we need the customer to have 10 snapshots to achieve this ratio. Did you say thir- 13 or thir- did you say 13 to one or 30 no. to one? 30 to one, three zero, 30 to one. <laughs> okay. That's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, and if they have VDI, uh, we guarantee eight is to one as opposed to three is to one. So eight to one or 80 to one? Eight, eight to one. Eighty okay. to one with snapshot. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. You could yeah, so fitting eighty times a store, yeah, that's that's pretty insane. Right. Yeah. I think it's a very good program and then we want uh, the account teams and the customers to use the guarantee uh, in any qualifying AFFTS. All right, cool. So that's a that's a good uh, guarantee to implement because you know you're putting your disc where your mouth is essentially. I mean, if we can't do it, we'll give you the disc to make up for it. Exactly, and it's a written guarantee. We give it in writing, and it's not just a marketing guarantee. Is is it in writing in invisible ink, or is it like does it does it spontaneously <laughs> combust after we've given it to them, or is it it's it's there forever? It's electronically signed in there forever. All right, there we go. <laughs> Excellent. So you mentioned um, encryption and, and how we don't deduplicate or, or we can't really do much with that. Why is that? Why is encryption wreak havoc? And does that count net up volume encryption or is that something that we can incorporate there? So, uh, yeah, uh, encryption, I will let uh, DNP or somebody explain the technical things, why encryption the data will not be able to provide efficiencies. Before that, I'll just cover uh, net app volume encryption. Uh, even though with NetApp volume encryption, we will not be able to get agar level deduplication savings, uh, but that is still not excluded in the guarantee. So even if you have NetApp volume encryption enabled on your system, your guarantee is still valid. So we can I just want to so, so yeah. with with NVE we can we can't do do uh, do duplication across volumes, but we can do it for single volume, right? So at at the volume level, we can still dedupe with NVE. At the volume level, we can still do it. At the aggregate level, we will not be able to. That is uh, mainly because of uh, the security involved in NetApp volume encryption. So if uh, assume that uh, uh, you are a service provider and then you have different volumes which are provisioned to different customers. So you would, your customer would not want the say, secret key to be used to unlock a different volume. That is the reason uh, we do not want to a decrypt a volume using someone else's key. So that is the reason we do not enable sharing across encrypted volumes in case of NVE. And I think, and this is been my understanding, and DMP, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's also because when you have uh, volume encryption, those keys get stored, and then they basically make the data different. It's no longer a duplicate data set. Is that right? Yes, basically, when you encrypt a data, we kind of add uh, some sort of uh, salt with it, and that that kind of makes the key different. Uh, that makes the encrypted data different. Yeah, so it's no longer it's it's now unique data. It's no longer duplicate data. It, that that's correct. Yeah, and that's that's the real challenge, I think, because like like Karthik said, you don't want to go and encrypt that data. That's, that's completely contrary to what you want to do with encryption, right? You yeah, want it to be secure. Uh, but yeah, if you if you have cross volume deduplication, it's no good with NVE. So that brings me to my next question: um, What are the situations where I want to disable a storage efficiency feature? Like, you know, I may not want it for things like you know, if I have very compressed data, maybe I don't want to enable compression. And, and this is going outside the guarantee talk now, right? Because guarantees require you to have it all enabled. But when would I want to turn these off? Well, we hope you never turn it off. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you don't want us to turn it off, but it, it, there are situations yeah. where, like, maybe it's not necessary. Maybe the performance impact, even though it's really low, isn't worth having it on because it's not doing anything for me. What are those situations? 
So one the situation I can tell you is for databases. So the pr primary efficiency feature that works on databases is your compression and compaction. You will not be able to get any uh, deduplication savings on databases. That's because I think every record that they have a unique uh, header or trailer there. So we will not be able to deduplicate, even though the data inside the two records are the same. But at a uh, record level or the block level, they will be unique for us. So mm -hmm. we rarely see deduplication savings on databases. So that's one one place I would say if you want to turn it off, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, and then I can think of another. Uh, use this you mean Oracle? What? Oracle, yeah. Oracle database, yeah. Yeah, not not all the all the databases, right? Only Oracle. Okay, so, so just Oracle databases. Another use case I can think of is uh, SQL databases that have been compressed, right? You don't want to turn on compression for those because you've already compressed them. Yeah, in general, for any uh, application which compresses, you will not get any additional compression savings when it, the data enters our system. So if you have a host which is doing compression, I don't think uh, you need compression on the on-tap system. You also wouldn't need it if you've got a data store with a bunch of JPEGs, right? Because they're already compressed files. Any JPEG or video files, you will not get any savings. So even uh, the PDF files, they're already pre-compressed. Yeah. So they're optimized for efficiency. So Okay. Yeah. The one example also is that you know, Oracle has its own compression algorithm, which is the columnar compression that may also be enabled in the customer environment, in which case the data is already coming into the filer compressed form. And you don't want to have another level of compression by the filer. And it will not achieve more savings than what is already gotten on the um, database by the columnar compression, right? So in which case, you may want to turn off um, the filer-based compression, right? Um, so it's, it's the same condition that Karthik mentioned earlier, that the data is coming in as uh, pre-compressed, right? in which case you may want to turn it off. The other uh, example is SAP HANA. They also do their compression at the host site. Right. So we won't see any compression. We have seen a lot of deployments wherein uh, with their compression enabled, we do not get any savings. And even with uh, Mongo, I don't know, I think, do we get any savings, additional savings? Mongo we do get, but we need to employ the largest PG there. Okay. Of the certificate compression group. Right. Yeah. And that does give a um, good amount of savings, right? So, um, Karthik, uh, there's there's a newer feature, and it's not that new. It's 9.2. It came out, but Fabric Pool um, is, is a new feature that we've added in ONTAP. How are you incorporating that into the storage efficiency conversation? Because to me, it's always felt like a storage efficiency feature more than anything. So yeah, fabric pool, what happens is your data as it becomes cold, it is moved off the flash tier into either a storage grid or to a cloud. So we will be able to provide uh, and preserve efficiencies as long as the data is in the flash tier. So the deduplication savings will still be preserved as the data moves off of the flash tier to either storage grid or the cloud. But uh, do we preserve the compression efficiency, Sanjeev? Yes, we do. Okay, yeah. yeah, great. Then I do. I think we preserve both deduplication and then compression efficiencies. But uh, the only thing is, if we have aggregate level deduplication and some part of the data in a volume moves, then you will lose out the agar level savings specific to that data which is being moved. Yeah. yeah the way to view the uh, fabric pool um, feature is that, you know, you have um, primary pool, right, that you're... Um, uh, you can say gold um, pool, right? And you have the uh, capacity pool, right? Which is, which may be, you know, your um, data in the cloud, right? So you want to play in such a way that, you know, you want policy-based data management where the older data can sit in the cloud, right? Whereas your primary pool, the gold pool can still act on the primary workload that the customer has, right? So, so that's the idea behind uh, fabric pool and uh, we do have the efficiencies preserved from the uh, on the primary system whatever you have achieved efficiency on and that goes on to the tier storage as well yeah, in addition to that i mean fabric pool itself is kind of a storage efficiency feature because you're moving those blocks from your expensive flash media to you know something that's less it's more cost effective like you know storage grid or cloud 
Yep, absolutely right. Right. You mentioned that Fabric Pool can preserve storage efficiencies. What about things like Snap Mirror and Snap Vault and Snap Lock? I mean, actually, you mentioned earlier Snap Lock can't, but what about Snap Mirror and Snap Vault? Snap Mirror, I think uh, we have two kinds of uh, transfers in Snap Mirror. One is a physical transfer of blocks at an aggregate level, and the other one is Snap Mirror logical transfer preserving storage efficiency. So if you have a Snap Mirror relationship established with uh, uh, storage efficiency, LRSE relationship, what we call, then uh, we do preserve the efficiencies over the wire and also on the destination. But in case of uh, the physical transfer, the data is transferred as is. So if your uh, source volume has savings, it will be transferred to the destination as well. If it doesn't, then uh, it will be transferred uh, without any savings. So the destination copy of the data will be exact mirror image of the source copy in case of uh, physical transfer. Uh, that said, you can have additional efficiencies on the destination once the data is transferred to gain uh, more efficiencies on the data on the destination volume. So, and, and you mentioned the difference between the physical versus the logical, and, and honestly, isn't that all turning to logical anyway? I mean, we're, we're basically doing away with physical at, you know, at this point? I think, yes, we, I think by, uh, from ONTAP 9.3 onwards, the default is uh, logical. And going forward, I don't think we'll be supporting physical anymore. It'll only be logical. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, what it comes down to is it makes more sense because it's, you're able to do more with logical. You're able to do things like storage efficiencies over the wire, whereas physical, you couldn't. Correct. All right, so let's talk best practices. Um, and, and I'm guessing that the, the number one best practice is going to be turn on your storage efficiencies unless you don't need them, right? <laughs> uh, what other things can we consider um, with best practices with storage efficiency? So as you rightly said, the simple thing is turn on all the storage efficiencies. Uh, just because we introduced uh, different features at different points in time in the on-tap releases, uh, there might be a situation wherein you have upgraded your system from an older release and the feature is now available in the new release. So in such cases, uh, the for example, I'll take inline deduplication. Inline deduplication, aggregate deduplication we introduced in 9.3. So on 9.3, only the new data that is created after the system is upgraded to 9.3 will start participating in that inline deduplication process. For the data that already came in, if the system was upgraded from 9.1 or 9.2, the existing data will still not be able to participate unless it is changed. So for those reasons, uh, we have introduced uh, background scanners, both for deduplication as well as compression. So the main reason we introduced these is to compress and deduplicate the existing data, which was already on the system when the system was upgraded. So the best practice is enable all inline efficiencies, have thin provision volumes, run your background scanners, both compression scanner as well as uh, deduplication scanners. So this is the uh, main thing. Then again, one of the important things to consider is uh, snapshots. So as you know, I, when you take a snapshot, the blocks that are part of the snapshots cannot be modified because snapshot is a read-only file system. So we always recommend to run all your background efficiencies before taking any snapshots. Because if you take a snapshot, that data gets locked, and then when you run the efficiency, the reduced data will occupy additional space till the time the snapshot is present in the system, till it is recycled or deleted. So always take your snapshots after running all your efficiency features. And schedule your... Uh, deduplication jobs, if you're on a system which is older than 9.3, you had to manually schedule deduplication jobs. From 9.3 onwards on AFS systems, we have something called as uh, automatic dedupe scheduling, wherein there is no manual intervention required. The system will figure out when to run deduplication jobs and what volumes, and it will also make sure that all these deduplication jobs complete on time. And it also keeps track of the savings on those volumes if a particular volume is not getting any savings over a period of time, then that it will uh, demote that volume and then cause the deduplication jobs just to conserve CPU. Yeah, I forgot to mention but that. But if feature. you're on a release, yeah. 
Oh yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, very that's a good important one. For, yeah, I forgot about that one. The automated dedupe uh, scheduler. Yeah. All right, continue. Yeah, that's one of the actually most asked features uh, by customers because uh, you know if you have a lot of volumes, there'll be overlap of jobs, and then some of the jobs will not finish. There'll be bully volumes which will take up all the resources, and they'll not allow other volumes to complete. Well, so I mean, this is a very nice. Yeah, and honestly, it, it's a simplicity thing. I don't want to deal with thousands of dedupe schedules, right? I want ONTAP to figure it out for me, and now, now it's doing that. Exactly, exactly. yes. Yeah. So, yeah, just to summarize, enable all uh, inline and background efficiencies on AFS system. Run the background efficiency scanners. Run your scanners before taking any snapshots or scheduling any snapshots. Also use automatic dedupe scheduling on systems running 9.3 and above. For older systems, make sure that you are, your jobs are spaced such that all the jobs complete on time. There's no overlap so that you do not have any uh, dedupe backlog. So if I'm a customer That's and I want to see my storage efficiencies, where's the best place for me to see that? Like, you know, from the command line, from ActiveIQ, from OnCommand, what's, what's the best way to consume that information? So uh, if you have uh, one or two systems, I think system man on command system manager is uh, which is our GUI based tool. That is the best place to see. And if your uh, system is sending order support, then ActiveIQ is also a good place to see all your efficiencies. That will give you more detailed efficiencies, and it also gives you efficiencies by features if you are interested in it. Uh, so if you're only interested in overall ratio, what your system is getting with or without snapshot, you can either use system manager or uh, active IQ. And if you're geeky enough, you can even use our CLI commands. So we have uh, a lot of information in CLI and you can go to uh, whatever granularity you want. You can get the information from CLI as well. That command storage efficiency show, right? So you know, aggregate show efficiency. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah. So um, if I wanted to find more information about storage efficiencies, is there a technical report I could find out there? So, yeah, there is a technical report out there, uh, ER4476, and it is currently being updated to uh, include the information about the new features in ONTAP 9.5 and above. So just... Uh, watch out for the new report. We'll be releasing it uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, when is that new report coming out? Because I think it's only up to nine four at this point, right? Yes, it's up to nine four at this point, and yeah, our TME is currently working on it. And I do not have the uh, exact timeline yet, but uh, we are going to release it pretty soon. Crack the whip, Karthik. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> need to. <laughs> The evolved storage efficiency, with, which was with a lot of knobs earlier, right? And they have made efficiency default part of the ecosystem with the AFS system, right? It's all automatic right now in the, in the box. Everything happens inside the box, oblivious to the user, right? And um, what matters to the customer is the efficiency that is gotten on the load, right? Um, and uh, if you look at our competition as well, right, there are different meters out there to calculate the efficiency, right? Um, but that app, um, we believe in giving the customer the honest view of the system and the uh, efficiency gotten on the system, right? So the, the guarantee program is the place where um, customer can um, uh, buy the AFF box and um, um, get into the guarantee agreement um, and the vanity day window that um, Akati talked about gives the, the customer the advantage of seeking um, help with the engineering team uh, if they are not getting the guarantee. And uh, if they are getting the guarantee, yeah, they got the uh, bucks for the money, right? So, yeah, that's, that's the overall outlook of storage efficiency that uh, we have built over the years. Did I hear that you might have implied that our competition might not be as honest <laughs> about their gear, their storage efficiencies as, as we are? I didn't say that. You are saying that. No. <laughs> but you're not. But you're that. not disagreeing with me. I'm not going to say which competition is no, yeah. doing that. I'm just going to say that maybe if there were competition out there, 
they might not be as honest about their storage efficiency. So if you are a customer and you think that that's, that storage efficiency that's being told to you by your someone other than NetApp is not quite right, look into it. Dive into it a little more. No, I just want the customer to ask the storage provider, can you give it in writing about the guarantee? Is it just a number that you're talking about or is it on paper? Can you do that? Yeah, there you go. Sign the contract. You know, put your signature yeah. to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for joining us and talking about storage efficiency. So DMP, Sanjeev, Alok, Gayathra, uh, Venku, and um, Karthik. Did I get everybody? Thank you. Yep, All thanks. Right, thanks, thanks, everyone. Yep. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank the ONTAP storage efficiency team for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.